Hi everyone, welcome back to the History in 20 podcast, hope we're all doing okay, thanks for tuning in as per, so this time we are covering Ivan the Terrible, so it's a guy who I've wanted to do for a long time and I've had a few requests mention him, so to, I've just got the list here, to Pat, Catherine, James, Ian and David, I think that's everyone, Uh, thanks for that request guys, so hope you enjoy this one. So we'll start off with his personal profile. So he was born on the 25th of August, 1530. And just as a disclaimer, you're really going to have to excuse me for any pronunciations here because he is Russian, so if I'm wrong, apologies. So he was born 25th of August, 1530 in Kolomenskoy in the Grand Duchy of Moscow. And he was known as Ivan IV, Ivan the Terrible, which originated from his his name Ivan Grozny, which means terrible in Russian. And it's not terrible in the sense of bad, it's terrible in the sense of, like, evil, so, uh, he died on the 18th of March, 1584, he was aged 53 in Moscow, which at this point was in the Sardom of Russia, and we'll get to that in a minute, explain what that means and stuff, so he reigned initially as Grand Prince of Moscow from the 3rd of December, 1533, to the 16th of January, 1547, and then as Tsar of Russia from the 26th of January, 1547, to 1574, and then back again from 1576 to the 18th of March, 1584, when he died. And again, I'll explain why there's a bit of a break later on. So spouses, as far as that goes, he was, he was married eight times, but only four of whom were recognised by the church, and the most famous of those includes Anastasia Romanovna. And he had eight children, not to the eight different wives, but he had eight children. Uh, the two most famous of those were Ivan Ivanovich and Fyodor I of Russia, and he was part of the Rurik dynasty. So, start with a little introduction. So, Ivan the Terrible is a name that many people have heard of, like myself, but know little about, including me. So when I was researching this, I didn't even know what century he reigned in. Um, but I've also found there to be numerous similarities between both Vlad the Impaler, which uh, we covered earlier, I'll link that in the comments if you've not listened to that one, uh, and Ivan the Terrible. So if you enjoyed that one, I think you'll enjoy this one too. So his reign completely transformed Russia. Obviously there was the torture, the murders, the gore, etc. But the prominent feature of Ivan Terrible's reign is the transformation of Russia from a medieval state into an early modern empire. So we'll go right back to the beginning and when he was born. So he was born into royalty. His father was a guy called Vasily III. He was the Grand Prince of Moscow and he reigned from 1505 to 33. And his mother was called Elena. She was his second wife. And Vasily died when Ivan was just three. He was only three years old, which left him as the Grand Prince of Moscow. So his mother ruled on his behalf as what we call a regent, uh, Queen Regent, until her death in 1538, when Ivan was only eight. So by the time he was eight, he'd lost both of his parents. Now, many historians and contemporaries alike believe that she had been poisoned. And this sort of is a recurring theme that plays throughout Ivan's reign, as we'll see. So, upon his mother's death, a group of reformers known as the Chosen Council united around Ivan and they gave him a royal education, bringing him up, sort of ensuring that he was knowledgeable on how to rule as a king. Um, So when Ivan turned 16, that was when he reached his age of majority in Russia at the time, this was in 1547, the Chosen Council declared him Tsar, that's T-S-A-R or C-Z-A-R if you're American, and that's derived from the Latin term Caesar, which means emperor, 
So he was declared Tsar of all Russia, Emperor of all Russia, and with this established the Tsardom of Russia with Moscow as the predominant state. Now, upon his coronation as Tsar of all the Russians, this was partly an imitation of his grandfather, Ivan III the Great. So we've got Ivan the Great and then Ivan the Terrible. He reigned from 1462 to 1505, and he'd also styled himself Tsar in his private correspondences. So there is some sort of influence going on there as well. So, just two weeks after his coronation, Ivan married Anastasia Romanovna, who became the first Russian Tsarissa. And the new style, new sorry, title Tsar was more than just a fancy label. Uh, it was it basically sent a message to not just Russia but to the world that he was the only supreme leader of the country, and as well as the fact that he had put himself on a level with those such as the Mongol Khans and the Byzantine emperors, he was determined on sort of setting the precedent as an empire rather than just a country, being a king of a country or king of a kingdom. He wanted to be the emperor of an empire. So his early reign from 1547 to 60 we'll start with. So in his education as a child, Ivan often feared the boyars, and you might recognise that term from the Vlad the Impaler podcast, but if you're not familiar with it, boyars are court nobility. They're like noblemen within the courts of these people. So he, he feared these because they wouldn't think twice about beating him or abusing him and things like that. So upon his coronation, one of his first acts was to have his most hated boyar, who was a guy called Prince Andrei Shusky, seized and torn apart by a pack of hounds. So no messing from the off. But, contrary to that, uh, initially Ivan's early reign was fairly peaceful, so he revised the old law codes and created the Sudebnik of 1550, as well as founding a standing army called the Streltsy, and also established something called the Zemsky Sabor, which was the first Russian parliament of feudal estates. And then in 1553, he ordered the establishment of the Moscow Print Yard, and the first printing press was introduced to Russia, which you can imagine... When, like, Gutenberg invented it in Europe in the mid-15th century, that revolutionised the way, well, anything was communicating, especially, like, the Reformation. So introducing that into such a massive country as Russia, you can see the effect that would have immediately. However, aside from developments on home territory, he also did ravage a series of conquests in the 1550s. Now, his logic wasn't unreasonable behind this, not like he was doing it for the sake of it. So, as a child, armies of the Kazan Khanate repeatedly raided northeastern Russia and they devastated entire communities at a time and damaged loads of farmland in the process. So, eventually, on the 16th of June, 1552, Ivan led a Russian army towards Kazan and they began to siege the capital. So, by 2nd of October, Kazan had fallen. And to celebrate this, Ivan commenced the building of several Russian Orthodox churches with Oriental features, including, as you'll see on your screen now, the famous St. Basil's Cathedral. Now, this is like another instance where it would have been fine if he'd left it as that, but instead he went one step further and you can kind of see the cracks are beginning to appear and why he gets called the Terrible. So, allegedly, he was that impressed with the sheer beauty of St. Basil's Cathedral in Red Square in Moscow that he allegedly ordered for the architects who designed it to be blinded by having their eyes gouged out so that they could never create anything as beautiful or picturesque as that ever again, which just seems absolutely insane, but there we are. 
Then in further campaigns, in 1554 and 1556, Russian troops conquered the Astrakhan Khanate, which is on the mouth of the Volga River. Now, the annexation of these Khanates meant that Ivan had succeeded in the conquest of vast territories, and as a result, he'd gained access to large markets and control of the entire length of the Volga River. And at this point, it's worth bearing in mind, he was only 26 years old, and he's conquered all this territory. And from that perspective, you kind of think, yeah, I, I do understand, like, he can be good and terrible at the same time, but that's just my opinion, so we'll carry on. So, two years later, Ivan did launch the most famous conflict of his reign, which was called the Livonian War, and that's a conflict that would literally plague him until his death. So, his initial thought for starting this war was that he could gain access to the Baltic Sea and other major trading routes. There's even examples of correspondence with him from English ambassadors, right over, like, this is Queen Elizabeth I would have been on the throne then, which is fascinating all the way from Russia and stuff, I thought it was really interesting. Um, so yeah, he wanted to conquer the Baltic Sea and the major trading routes, and obviously trading routes, you have massive opportunities that they came with it. So this war engaged many northern and eastern European powers, including the Kingdom of Sweden, the Grand Duchy of Lithuania, the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, and the Teutonic Knights of Livonia. And the war ultimately proved a disaster for Ivan, because it ended up lasting until 1583, and it just about destroyed the economy. So we go into a bit more of a negative tone now and get into the real gory stuff. So if you're into that, you'll like this bit. So this bit I've sort of termed it as the paranoia and later reign from 1560 to 80-ish. So on the 7th of August 1560, Ivan's wife Anastasia died. So many contemporaries and historians alike believe that this was one of the major triggering points, which both caused a decline in Ivan's mental health and an increase in his uh, paranoia. So after 1560, his reign became one of transformation and warfare, followed by rebellion, discontent and famine. So in the early 1560s, the Sardom was split in two halves. The Zemchnina, based around Moscow, and the Oprichnina, based around the Novgorod Republic. I'll put a map up of that on the screen so you can have a look at that. Might help visualise it for some people. So Ivan had distrusted those in the other half, so the northern half, which was the Zemch the Oprichnina, sorry, and he distrusted them and their boyars. So at the height of his popularity, on the third of December fifteen sixty four, he abdicated the throne. Now the boyars were disappointed because legally they could not govern without a Tsar, so they had no power without a Tsar in charge of them, and nobody wanted to pick a new one in case they turned out like Ivan. So on top of this, the boyars lived in a city where the local population despised them, so their position was in huge jeopardy. So eventually they begged for Ivan to return, and he did so on one condition, that he was an absolute monarch. So in other words, that he ruled over the boyars and the people altogether. Now in hindsight, that was a pretty silly move, but hindsight's a great thing, isn't it? And obviously they didn't have that then. So upon his return... Ivan founded the Oprichniki, who were a secret police. Now, there's an estimate of around 6,000 men, uh, and it was their job to turn in traitors and monitor the Oprichnina. So, essentially, he was putting forward a police state, one of the earliest examples of a police state. And he considered torture a suitable weapon of state, and he even once allowed the Oprichniki to turn in his own personal physician to be put on the stretching rack and roasted alive on a spit on suspicion of treachery. So, his paranoia was clearly at an all time high in the 1560s. 
So plague and famine then struck Russia in the late 1560s and Ivan was worried that the people of Novgorod would rebel and there was no evidence that they were going to rebel but and they never actually did but Ivan was so convinced that they would because of his paranoia that he thought the safest option was for him to just attack the city. So the next event this leads on to is called the Sack of Novgorod and this is in 1570. So there was a plague in Russia at this point and this had reached the Opera Chnina by 1570 and had further worsened conditions in Novgorod. So at its peak it was killing 10,000 people a day in Novgorod and between 600 to 1,000 daily in Moscow. And it was during the epidemic, the famine, the ongoing Livonian War that Ivan grew suspicious that the noblemen of Novgorod were planning to defect from Russia to Lithuania. And this is kind of understandable in my view. I think that you've got all these negative things going on, the famine, the plague, this war, and you think, why would anyone want to live in this state where all this is going, we'll move to the other side where we're going to get treated better. But again, Ivan's paranoia, multiply that to the power of 10, and there we are. So in 1570, Ivan ordered the Oprichniki to raid Novgorod, and they burned and pillaged the city and the surrounding villages. Now Ivan himself was also present, and it culminated in the slaughter of 60,000 men, women and children. And to this day, the city of Novgorod has never regained its former prominence at all. So that's the huge, devastating effect that, that the sack of Novgorod had on the city itself. So despite how often that Ivan actually utilised the services of the Oprichniki, he was never totally enamoured by them. So during the Russo-Crimean War, which was from 1571 to 72, the Oprichniki failed to prove themselves, according to Ivan's standards, against a regular army, and Ivan totally disbanded them in 1572. And he also disbanded the idea of the Oprichnina by this point as well. So fast forward a couple of years to 1575... <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. And Ivan once again pretended to resign. This time he proclaimed a personal friend of his, a guy called Simeon Bekbolatovich, as the new Tsar. Now, the following year, Ivan decided he was ready to come back, and despite the lands which Simeon had seized from the church, and Ivan promised to return on coming back to the throne, he still kept hold of them and resumed his position as Tsar. So then, the next major event uh, is in 1581. So we're going forward a few more years, but it's the next kind of major key event that I thought anyway. So Ivan Ivanovich was Ivan's eldest son, and he had a difficult relationship with his father, as you'd expect. So Ivan the Terrible often used to abuse his son and his daughter-in-law, his son's wife. Uh, and this eventually culminated in the death of his son on the 19th of November 1581. Now, Ivan started beating up his son's wife for allegedly dressing immodestly, and he beat her so badly that she had a miscarriage because of the extent of the abuse and wounds that she'd suffered. So upon hearing this news, Ivan Ivanovich got into a huge argument and fight with his father, as you'd expect. But Ivan the Terrible beat him to death with an iron-tipped rod. And you can see the painting on your screen now. That's a contemporary picture of Ivan having killed his son. So that, again, like he goes from literally from bad to worse. So the next step is the death of Ivan the Terrible. So eventually his excessive lifestyle did catch up with him. So during his last days, his body became swollen and racked with pain. So his physicians failed to find a cure. So he turned to astrologists and clairvoyants who, no surprise, they were equally as unsuccessful. So then he invited the English ambassador to his palace just days before his death and he showed him some precious gems and he stated, Look how they lose their colour. They proclaim my end. I have been poisoned. 
And then on the 18th of March, 1584, aged 53, Ivan died. And he died when he was playing a game of chess against himself. Because who would dare to think they could beat the Tsar of Russia at chess? It'd be unfathomable to think that. And uh, he was buried in the Cathedral of St. Michael in the Kremlin. But the cause of Ivan's death had been the subject of debate over the years and it had been attributed to a number of conditions ranging from cancer to syphilis to dysentery. But over 400 years after his death, his tomb was eventually opened for tests on his corpse and they found that his body actually contained toxic levels of both mercury and arsenic, suggesting that he had died at the hands of a poisoner, proving the old adage that even a paranoid person can have real enemies. So... We said that like, we thought his mother was poisoned, Anastasia might have been poisoned, and then turns out Ivan himself was poisoned. So was he right to be paranoid about that? Let you make that decision. So what sort of legacy did Ivan leave behind? Well, his next eldest son succeeded him as Feodor I, but he was a weak-minded ruler and he died childless in 1598. And that ushered in a period in Russian history called the Time of Troubles. And this period only came to an end in 1613, thanks to the accession of Michael I of the House of Romanov, and they were the royal house who would rule Russia until the, the Russian Revolution, and thus the abolition of the monarchy, in 1917. So for almost 300 years the Romanov family ruled, and the Romanovs were descended from Ivan's first wife, Anastasia. So Ivan's life was one of the most remarkable of the 16th century, and in fact one of the most remarkable of all time. And there are elements which do fit in with other completely insane rulers like Vlad the Impaler or I was thinking maybe the Roman emperors Caligula and Nero. You can get some sort of similarities with that with just the sheer eccentricity and brutal bloodiness I suppose. Um, but there are other elements where he can be seen as a true reformer like changing the law codes and things like that and regardless of anyone's opinion on him it is true that he did transform Russia and for the most part for the better so Russia changed from a medieval backwater in the frigid northeast fringes of Europe and became more than just a frozen landmass sitting atop of the Asian steppe it became a, literally a global superpower and it's never looked back and it was only with the death, death of Tsar Nicholas II in 1917 that Russia eventually lost its Tsardom and Nicholas was descended from the Romanov family so like we said he's thanks to his marriage to Anastasia and becoming the first Tsar of Russia this essentially led um, a dynasty really that lasted for the good best part of 300 years so the impact that he had on history undoubtedly makes him one of the most interesting characters to study and there's a great historian, a guy called Norman Davies, now I think he sums up Ivan's life and death pretty well. He says, After such comprehensive socio-political transplants and amputations, it's not surprising that the patient fell sick. And I think that's the best way of summing him up. So thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed this one. And I'll catch you at the next one. See you then.